In today's episode, we want to explore the interface between theology and our sex lives as married couples. These may sound like two very disparate topics, but in reality, what you believe about God, about the Bible, and what you think the Bible says about sex, those things are all going to have a huge impact in how much or how little pleasure you derive from God's great gift of sexuality. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. We have a different format for you this week. This is episode number 208, and I'm going to be talking to my colleague, Jesse Schellenberg, about how our theology, our beliefs about God and the Bible, impacts our sex lives as married couples. And before we get started, if you missed last week's episode, we gave you four ways to create more intimacy in your marriage that is worth going back and checking out. And we want to make sure as well that you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. Remember, if you're struggling with your marriage, we offer sound research-based advice. And most of all, we offer hope. Now, you may have noticed a game that you haven't heard Verlinda yet. Verlinda is very much under the weather with pneumonia still. It's been amazing to me how an infection like that packs such a wallop. And so it's left her very weak. And so I'm recording this episode without her just so that she can continue to rest up. I'm happy to say that she is recovering and is getting a little stronger each day. And uh, she does appear to be on the mend now, but we appreciate your, your prayers for her continued recovery. So today I'm speaking with Jesse Schellenberg. Jesse is one of our associate therapists here at Only You Forever. He works with a variety of issues with individuals and couples and is an outstanding therapist. I really respect the work that Jesse does. And so we are very glad to have him as part of our team. He has a Master of Arts in Marriage and Family Therapy and is a registered clinical counselor based out of the Vancouver, British Columbia area. Jesse also holds a Master's of Theology and a Master's of Christian Studies. So you really get to see in this episode how comfortable he is talking about that interface between what we believe and what we practice, even in the area of human sexuality and how that relates to how we interact in the area of intimacy as couples. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're glad that we could have you with us today. Let's get into the topic of how a couple's theology their beliefs about God and the Bible impacts their sex life together. Okay. You know, to me, those things kind of seem like they could be so disconnected. Like one, you know, this, this is what I do at church and you know, what I do with my wife is completely different. Right. But why let's start with why this is an important topic to talk about. Why do we need to discuss this? I'd say probably the biggest thing that leaps to mind just in answering that is, you know, for a lot of people in the church, it can kind of feel like cultures pulled the rug out from under their feet uh, as far as just sexual norms, it can kind of feel like pretty much anything and everything has the green light. And so there's a really big question for a lot of Christian couples out there of just how do we respond to this? Uh, and not only how do we respond to it as the church, but how do we respond to this in our own lives? 
You know, how do we respond to this as a married couple? How do we respond to this as Christian couples who are responsible for raising up kids? Like, what does this actually look like, broad, broadly speaking, for our family, too, not just for us as a couple? So I'd say that's probably one of the biggest things off the top okay. of my head. Would that be also, Jesse, in there, just the idea that, uh, you know, it's one of the questions that I run into sometimes, a couple's even wondering, is it okay for us to do whatever particular kind of sex act or you know, are sex toys okay? Is anal sex okay? Those are some of the more common kind of questions. Is that, Mm -hmm. will it run in that direction as well? I think it does too. And I mean, my response to that uh, and to those questions typically is, you know, it really depends on how you feel about that. And not to kind of say that it's completely subjective. I think that there's some pretty broad guidelines that the Bible does give us as far as, uh, is it respectful? Uh, Is it honoring? Okay. I mean, do I feel honored by my partner when we do this, as opposed to kind of looking through, uh, let's have a checklist of, yes, this is okay, no, this is not. Uh, Do I feel honored? Like, do I feel respected by my partner when we do this? Do I enjoy this? Hmm. You know, just is there an air and a shared sense of mutuality that we both like doing this, that we both enjoy this. or And that doesn't even have to be so much a sense of we both receive pleasure from this physically, but it can be a sense of I enjoy doing this because I know my partner enjoys doing this. And so in that sense, there's a sense of mutuality there. And finally, is this safe physically? Is this safe to do you know, am I honoring and respecting my partner's physical safety? If it's a yes to all three of those things, God bless and enjoy. Okay. Yeah. And yet sometimes that, you know, even that data is hard to get. Like I remember my, um, I think it was like a third year, I think it was microbiology or else it was in that phys and second year and just talking about the cellular design of different parts of the body. And uh, he was pretty clear in his mind as to where he thought, you know, there's certain parts of the body where the penis actually is not designed to go mm-hmm. because the, the cellular structure there does not take a lot of thrusting. Yeah. So, and I mean, that ties a little bit to the last question as well in terms of safety, right? Absolutely. And of course, yeah. you know, that those are simple biological facts, even aside from the larger debates around homosexuality and and all the kind of other rabbit trails you can get into. Yeah, I would place that definitely uh, under the question of, is this safe? Not just safe immediately in the moment, but long-term, is this a safe, healthy practice? Okay. So uh, should we start kind of on the bigger picture end of things? Yeah, because uh, I mean, th- there's a, maybe a little bit more to add to that question about why this is important. Yeah. I, I think that maybe it's important just because historically speaking, I think that in my anecdotal experience, I would say that the church has done a pretty terrible job of teaching on sexuality overall. And I would say that it has not engendered people towards a healthy sense of sexuality. I mean, I was I was in church the first Sunday after I was born and for several decades after that too, pretty much every Sunday with very few exceptions. And I think in that entire time, I heard two sermons on sex. And I mean, Two sermons out of, you know, almost 40 More years. I can remember. Yeah. And, and I mean, here that we have been given this fundamental biological gift from God, a God-ordained means of connecting with one another, and we got two sermons on it. Wow. That seems pretty inadequate. And the teachings that the church usually does give, and sometimes they're overt and sometimes they're just more covert and part of the culture, is uh, number one, above all else, don't be gay. And number two, whatever you do, don't do it. And that's essentially what the church teaches, or, or like broadly speaking, yeah. until of course don't, don't do that marriage. Yeah, until of course your wedding night, at which point in time you flip this switch and just magically become this sexual person after denying and ignoring and suppressing your sexuality for decades. Yeah. 
because that that happens and, that, and works that, real well. That flip switching, yeah, that switch flip doesn't always go so great. Right? No, no, it doesn't. Sometimes you get a bit of a short circuit uh, with that. So, uh, like, just in the interest of creating a healthy dialogue about sexuality in the church, I mean, A, I think that we just need to start doing more things like this, for example, and just having the conversation, for okay. goodness sakes, yeah. but first and foremost. Yeah, for sure. And I would say, secondly, just really striving to reclaim a biblical view of human sexuality. Like, what does God and what does the Bible actually say about sex? Okay. And Jesse, let me let me yes or let me relate a little story. A year ago, May, I spoke at a large conference about seven hundred Christians there, and I spoke about pornography, and mm -hmm. everybody was there. And knowing that when I say everybody was there, I mean the full age spectrum from babies to old older folks, right? And uh, knowing that, you know, I had to adjust my message for the audience, and yet trying to speak about an issue that I we all know is very prevalent uh, mm -hmm. and that a lot of people are struggling with. And afterwards I asked a very conservative person actually from a more conservative culture than ours. He was, I think he was from, he was either from Northern Ireland or Scotland. I said, you know, how was thing from your area of the world where I understand that this is an even less discussed topic. And he said, you know what? Moses read the law in the ears of all the people. And mm -hmm. if you go back, you know, it's a reference to the first five books of the Old Testament. If you go back and read those books, there's some pretty graphic stuff that happens in those books. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, he was positive just in the sense of saying, you know what, we have to figure out how to have this, even these sermons in front of a complete crowd of people and just begin to not make it such a taboo topic, but uh, begin to address it. Absolutely. I would 100% agree with that. And I think that some of the hesitation and pushback to that idea can, can come from people where when you really boil down their argument, their objection is, I'm going to have to then explain this and talk about it with my kids, to which I would say, fantastic, good, generate that conversation, have yeah. that conversation with your kids and create an open dialogue with them about something as fundamental to their humanity and to the image of God that they're created in is sex and their sexuality. Have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And don't you think at a certain level, the kids will actually filter the conversation to their own developmental stage, right? Yeah. As far as parents go, like their kids are different. Kids are going to be different, but you know, it's not going to get too out of control if they're younger or too detailed. It might have more questions and curiosity when they're older. Yeah. I mean, kids are much smarter than I think we give them credit for. And, um, much more resilient to the things that they hear than maybe we might give them credit for. And I mean, I, I yeah. can legitimately understand maybe not teaching kids about something too graphic, but you know, e even that, that's kind of a relative statement. What is too graphic for kids? And I think that's something that every family needs to maybe adjust their expectations and own levels of discussion to. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So we need to have more conversations at church. How about like even uh, even at home? Like I think, you know, I feel like I should be able to have more conversations because I am a marriage therapist. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, for Valin and I, it's taken, it's sometimes it's hard for us to have these conversations to, to just start talking about what's working or not working, um, you know, beyond the sort of um, the indications that we give each other while we're making love, but to actually have chats about sex and what's working and so on. So how can how can um, how can we help couples with that? I think probably the first thing is really, in a sense, attacking the idea that us talking about sex is bad and dirty. If we talk about it, that it's somehow taboo, that it's a no no. 
And, you know, I'd really push back on that for two reasons. One, because um, it's not helpful. And, and I mean, it does perpetuate, in a sense, a culture of shame around our sexuality. And two, I think it's unbiblical. I mean, if we're really going to orient our lives around what God says, we need to orient our lives around what God says about sexuality. And what God says about sexuality is an overwhelming positive affirmation. You know, before the fall of humanity, before sin entered in the world, there was sex. And God could have had us procreating and connecting with one another in any number of ways. He's omnipotent. He he's infinitely creative. He could have come up. He could have had us laying eggs like platypi or, you know, reproducing through osmosis. He divinely ordained penises to go into vaginas and declared that it was good. So and, you know, if God himself is going to give that type of affirmation to sex, who am I to go against that? And, and I would even add to it, too. Anytime I have a view of sex that is not in line with what God says about sex, I'm in danger of not just being an heir, but in danger of being idolatrous. Because I'm giving pride of placement to my ideas over and above what God says. I'm orienting my life around what my culture's told me, what I think, what I'm safe and comfortable with, as opposed to what God has declared, and that is that sex is good. Okay. Okay. Can you give me an example of that? Like, I guess in my head, I was going to, okay, I'm thinking, uh, what about oral sex? You know, I'm assuming this is between a married couple, so we're within kind of the moral boundaries laid out in in Mm -hmm. the scripture, but I don't think that that's expressly ordained or that the Bible talks about that. Uh, You know what? Interestingly enough, it actually does to a certain extent. In the Song of Solomon, where uh, the lover talks about her navel being a never-ending goblet of wine, that is a phenomenally sanitized version of that statement. That word that is usually translated safely as navel is actually referring to a female body part a little further down on the anatomy. And, and I mean, when the beloved talks about, you know, her lover cut, thrusting his hand into the latch and her rising to meet him, that woman is not talking about opening the front door. I mean, this is this is God-ordained, breathed scripture talking about oral sex and manual stimulation. Like, it's sanitized, of course, because we're North Americans and, you know, we can't have the Bible expressing too much about sex. But, you know, we have an entire book in the right. canon of truth that's given to us about sex. How much more of an endorsement can we get than that? And and also keeping in mind, too, you know, the very first commandment given to humanity is be fruitful and multiply. A sexual commandment, God's way of saying, just like I've created you in my image, go out, have lots and lots and lots of sex and make more of me in that image. Like that is a rousing endorsement from our creator that sex is good. Mm, Yeah. So I I think probably like the first thing I'd say is just really us overcoming this idea that having the conversation is dirty. It's not. It's good. It's godly. It's encouraged. And also, too, I mean, if we just need a practical impetus, if you want to have better sex, sex, talk to your partner. (laughs) I mean, like, have have that conversation. Yeah. So I'm just kind of putting myself in the shoes of someone uh, maybe who's listening to us, Jesse, and and they're like, okay, I, I get what you're saying. And yet, at the same time, it's like, well, you know, how do I kind of get past the shame or the embarrassment or the awkwardness? So can, like, mm-hmm. how can we make this a little easier for folks sort of in the, in the, in the bootstraps, in the day-to-day task of marriage to, to start opening these conversations up? Yeah. So if you can't 
start at the place of having the conversation of sitting down. You know, if maybe you're not at a place where you're ready to sit down and say to your partner, you know, how's our sexual routine? Are you enjoying it? Like, are you liking it? Are there things I can do better? If you're not at that place, have another conversation then and sit down and say, you know what? I think that I actually have a bit of shame around sex. Yeah. Start yeah. with that because, you know, Talk about I'm, I'm going to, like. yeah. And I'm going to guarantee if you do have some feelings of shame around sex, your partner's probably picked up on that at some point. Like, if this, this is not going to be coming as a surprise. They know. And I'm sure that they would have some interesting thoughts on that too, just saying, yeah, you know what? I, I actually kind of have some of the same feelings or yeah, I'm noticing that this is actually there. Let's talk about this. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. if you're feeling the shame, start with talking about that and go from there. Yeah. yeah. And even too, maybe even uh, talking a little bit about the family of origin, like, yeah. So what were your family lessons or spoken or unspoken about sex and shame? Related to sex and that kind of stuff too. Like, yeah, I think that that's a fantastic idea. Just having that conversation of, so how did the topic of sex get broached or avoided in your family? Right. right. What did that look like? Yeah. You know, it kind of, it's interesting here. This fits to a, a larger principle that we sometimes use when we're doing marriage counseling, which is that sometimes talking about talking about something is a way into talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. We're not using that to avoid, but if, you know, genuinely this is a new area, so we don't feel like we quite have the words and we got to figure it out, that's a good spot to, to start. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say going further than that, you know, uh, creating a healthy, you know, not just sitting down and having the conversation, but uh, creating a healthy lifestyle around sex. You know, just keeping in mind the idea that everything you do with your partner, every interaction with your partner is foreplay. It all ends up affecting the bedroom. And so just really asking the question, am I creating a sense of trust and safety between me and my partner where we can have this conversation? Am I creating an environment of intimacy where we actually are able to have this conversation or, you know, where sex is the byproduct of all of our everyday interactions of, you know, us kissing each other hello when we come home, hugging each other, being affectionate, actually having open dialogue about other things. Am I creating an environment in my home and modeling that healthy intimacy for my kids too, who are going to be learning everything from how I act and almost nothing from what I say? Am Am I teaching my kids through my actions what healthy intimacy and sexuality between a married man and woman looks like? Am I creating that environment in my home? Am I being a leader in creating that environment in my home? And then looking at some things around there too, uh, to have that conversation for sure. Yeah. What You work with a lot of couples, Jesse. What are some common pitfalls that you see where, where folks maybe do things that are counterproductive to creating well, that? Over? I think probably the biggest one that I see is, and I really, really do empathize with couples who struggle with this, just getting busy with the kids where life kind of happens and takes over. And hey, we've got two, three kids now, we're both working full time, and suddenly sex just is not a priority on the list. And and it feels like we don't have time for sex, and when we do have time for sex, nobody has any energy for sex. And that, I mean, that idea of sex being a priority has just fallen off the radar, and it's understandable. And it's that's probably the number one most common pitfall that I see happening. And, you know, one of the biggest, the two things that I really encourage around that are, well, a few things, actually. Uh, One, again, having that conversation and saying, hey, we're having sex like once a month now. This isn't good. 
Sex needs yeah. to be made a priority for us as a married Christian couple. We need to have this conversation. So starting off with that. Yeah. Can, I, can I jump in on that, Jesse, too? Absolutely. Also making sure to initiate that conversation as, you know, this is something that's occurring between us and not like, you know what, you never give me any sex or. Oh, yeah. 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 So don't start with blaming and and projecting because at some level you both have created this dynamic you've both bought into the system and created what you have today right so absolutely as so, co-creators you're kind of co-solvers right yes yes 100 percent. before we start blaming our partners we need to take a good hard honest look at what am i contributing to this how am i contributing to the maybe this desert that we're in right now yeah and you know to the men out there because I think this might be somewhat stereotypical, but I find it's often men who are going saying we never have sex anymore. Like this has kind of gone out the window. You know, probably one of the big things I would encourage on that is orgasms begin with taking out the garbage in the morning, buddy. Like if if your partner cannot trust you to get a bag of trash to a curb on a Thursday morning, how on earth are they ever going to trust you with something as intimate as their body? Like, are you picking up slack are, are you actually yeah. being a partner or are you sitting back and demanding? Yeah. Because yeah. one of those people is somebody who's going to be having sex with their wife. The other one won't be. Yeah. Yeah. And we often, we don't go for the garbage as much as the kitchen sink in our, in our show here. We're talking about like do dishes with your wife. Like that's a time to connect, right? And be beside each other. Yeah. Yeah. Again, just everything you do is foreplay. Am I taking the time to connect with my partner yeah. to really hear, to just ask about how their day was. Yeah, yeah. I you think know, you had an, another suggestion kind of backing out of that, being in that stuck place. One was having the conversation and you're kind of developing that with being involved. Any uh, other thoughts on there? That Yeah, I think maybe the second one was just kind of what we naturally led into as far as just what am I doing to kind of create this? Right. And, and I think maybe, a, yeah, or not doing to create this. Yeah. And I think maybe a third one would be for some people, and this isn't a fit for everybody, but it works for some people, scheduling sex. Hmm. You know, for a lot of people, they do push back against that and say, hey, you know, it kind of takes the romance out of things. You know, it loses a little bit of the spontaneity that we used to have. And, you know, to that, I'd say two things. Uh, One, yeah, some of the spontaneity is lost because you have three kids now. You don't have room to be spontaneous like you did when you were 22 years old and newly married. But, you know, the other thing, even though, yeah, maybe there is some spontaneity that's lost there. There's also something that people know that they can look forward to. A lot of couples that I talk with about scheduling sex say, yeah, I really look forward to Wednesday night because it's the middle of the week and I'm tired and I'm kind of stressed out and I really need to physically connect with my partner. And I know when we put the kids to bed on Wednesday night, we get to have sex and man, do I ever look forward to that. And so it actually, there's a sense of anticipation that gets created that gives a little boost to the sex drive. Right. Now, again, right. not for everybody. Not for everybody. Yeah, we, to be uh, candid, we don't promote it a lot. We're, I guess we're in the not for everybody category. I know other shows do. But I think part of it too, Jesse, is what you've mentioned though, is, is kind of how that's presented or how you guys see it as well. Scheduled sex in terms of a duty or an obligation is is a lot different than the idea to set aside a point in time and 
you know, we're going to enjoy the anticipation of that. Yeah. And I mean, that does not have to be an every week, you know, hey, we're going to mark this on the calendar sort of thing. That can be a weekly changing discussion of, hey, kids are having a sleepover on Saturday night. Let's go grab some dinner and go home and have sex. Yeah. I mean, like you've got three kids, you can be flexible with stuff like, you know, you don't have to write this in stone and, you know, swear your soul on it, so to speak. Yeah. 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 So Jesse, you and I, we didn't script this interview, but I'm going to, I'm just going to throw one at you. And I think you'll, you'll be able to get where I'm going here is, is how about theology and initiating sex? Theology and initiating sex. Yeah. In the sense of, um, so I have in mind, uh, you know, someone made an offhand insight. You know, I finally figured out that if I want to make love with my wife, I have to do more than slap her butt in the morning. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm going to sort of uh, somebody being created in the image of God, the whole person. Do you, you catch my drift there? Yeah. Like, how do I go about our spouse? Yeah. Is, is going to have an impact on how we initiate or play, if you will, taking out the garbage. Right. Mm-hmm. So something. Probably the biggest one uh, that just leaps to mind, uh, you know, that question of how do I initiate sex? Radical, radical proposal. Ask your wife how she would like you to initiate sex. Okay. Like, I know we're really off, off the reservation here, but like talk to your partner. Say like, hey, how would you like me to initiate sex? How would you like me to kind of put out the vibe, so to speak, during the day of, yeah, like I'm, I'm into you tonight, hon. How do you actually want me to create that environment where we're both anticipating sex, where we're both looking forward to sex? How do you want me to do that? Or, you know, even more simply put, so what turns you on? Like just having that conversation. How do I put up that signal and communicate with you that this is what I'm looking for, that this is kind of what I'm angling for? And I mean, how do you want to respond if the answer is yes? And how do you want to respond if the answer is no? Just Having that conversation. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And making sure to keep in mind, too, um, you know, if we're talking about human beings as created in the image of God, when we're talking about, you know, mutuality and respect, you know, no's are acceptable. Right. If it's a persistent no, then, hey, I want to have that conversation with my partner and say, you know, I'm kind of noticing that we haven't been connecting sexually lately. I'm just wondering what's happening for us. For sure. So that's great on initiating. I'd like to come back to you. It's just kind of in my mind to come back to a little bit to the start where we talked about to like, you know, what's permissible and not between you. And, you know, so I'll, I'll reveal one of my biases here. And that is that pornography is not helpful to a couple's sex life. Mm-hmm. And I've had some sort of, you know, I've definitely had some su- sad stories from wives who were like, you know what, we did this at the start, but then it, it took on a, a life of its own with him and he got into an addiction. How does our theology, our understanding of scripture, like, can it speak to things like that? Or is that just me kind of going back to being moralistic, if you will, and having my boxes I can or can't check and so on? No, I don't think that you are being moralistic about that. I I think that uh, our theology 100% speaks to that. And I think that when we look at what pornography is, it is something that typically is phenomenally degrading to women something that is based on men degrading and objectifying women and treating them like an object uh, to have sex or to basically do sex to as opposed to a person that they're having sex with. You know, so if I'm looking at my own sex life with my partner, then I'm going to be immediately asking, why would I want to bring something into my sexual partnership that is objectifying, degrading, and dehumanizing 
and in a sense is degrading to the image of God. Like that's a no on every single one of those things. In addition to just saying, why would I want to be bringing somebody else into my sexual partnership? Even if it is an image on a screen, I want sex to be between me and my partner. This is an exclusive relationship, not an inclusive one. This is exclusive. And even if there are other people on a screen or on a page, that's still other people. And this is supposed to be between me and my partner. Because as soon as I start bringing other people in, whether it's films, books, whatever it is, now it's not me and my partner connecting. It's me and my partner connecting with me and whoever else they're looking at or thinking about. And again, that's going to be an interruption of the one flesh principle that's very clearly laid out in principle in scripture for us. Right. right. Agreed. So uh, let me, um, I think we've actually touched on this one before in, in, a, in different, in another conversation, but I will never forget a professor who, Chuck, I can't remember his last name, but he did his his PhD on couples that experience an extraordinary sense of the presence of God during orgasm. Chuck McNee. Chuck McNee. And to which his mother, when uh, he told her what he was doing his dissertation on, she she thought, I never thought my boy would go into that. Or something to that effect. <laughs> so, so, which is kind of funny. Like she would have been boomer if not from the silent generation right which certainly didn't talk about those things and he's doing a dissertation on it can you give me anything uh, again sort of from scripture theology that just unpacks what's you know some people might be experiencing there is there is that something every couple should be aiming for like where is is it weird to bring god into our sexual pleasure with one another when we just talked about not having another person right mm -hmm. how does that help me out there if you can so I'd say two things to that. One, one of the great things about sex, I mean, there's lots of great stuff about sex, but one of the great things about sex is how versatile it is. I mean, we can use it to de-stress. We can use it to just feel pleasure. We can use it to connect with our partner. We can use it for all sorts of different things. And it can be different things at different times. Sometimes, you know, it, sex can be just a bit of a stress relief. Sometimes it can be maybe a more prolonged period of lovemaking. Sometimes it, it can just be a really intense visceral experience where we're just kind of, there's almost something animalistic that comes us out of us that we just really want that person. It's so versatile. Right. So, you know, I, and I guess I, I really want to emphasize that because a lot of times there's this question that comes around like, I'm not having this ecstatic, mind-blowing experience every single time I have sex. Well, yeah, yeah. That, that's because yeah. It, it's different things at different times and we need to adjust our expectations yeah. we um, around quote a, We often quote a research paper on that point saying that very happily married couples only, they have, uh, I think, what is it, satisfying or or barely satisfying sex, something like that about half the time. So even for them, like they're still really happily married, but half the time it's just not amazing. It's They're just kind of doing their thing. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Absolutely. So keep going with your, your they're just very versatile. Very versatile. But then, you know, I also think that there is a very real component and, and this is going to make some people uncomfortable when they think about this. But, you know, as human okay. beings created in the image of God, we actually reflect the Trinity in our sexual interaction with our partner. You know, the Trinity of one God and three persons, you know, being in a sense one marriage or one relationship with three different people there. There is me, there is my partner, and there is the person that we kind of are coming together as, as we join ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. 
And I think that that is absolutely part of the design that God made sex for, that we actually image the Trinity of God, that, you know, God is not something distant and far off in our sexual relationships. He is very present. And that experience of unity, of oneness, of closeness, all of those things that we experience in sex, that is an image of God's relationship with himself and God's desire to relate to us as human beings. Sex is a glimpse. Sex really is a glimpse of uh, the relationship that God wants to have with us. Yeah, yeah. Powerful. That's a piece of theology right there that is, you know, very much going to impact how we think about what happens between ourselves as couples, you know, you know, in our marriage, our marriage. And I can see that, Jesse, tying to all sorts of things, both to, you know, engaging and pursuing greater pleasure and intimacy and closeness. Mm-hmm. Uh, also setting boundaries on on things that are not helpful or healthy that don't contribute to what happens between us or that don't um, magnify that that expression of the image of God. I mean, that's, yeah, you can go all sorts of directions. But oh, yeah, there's a lot of different avenues to take with that for sure. Uh, super. Well, Jesse, this has been super helpful. I appreciate you taking the time to myself on the show here today. I know I've learned a lot listening to you, and I'm sure it's been a great help to our listeners as well. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation between Jesse and myself as much as I enjoyed hosting it. It is always a pleasure speaking with Jesse and listening to the wisdom that he shares so freely and so ably. We'd like to thank those of you who became patrons between this recording and our previous one, Louise, and also Bradley. Again, a huge shout out to all of you who support us so faithfully on Patreon. We appreciate each of you very much and for your contributions month after month that help us make this possible, help us reach more and more marriages. And we're glad to say that our reach does continue to grow and grow every month. And October, again, was a very strong month for us. So we're We're thankful for being able to reach thousands and thousands of marriages every week. Next week, if Ferland is feeling strong enough, we'll be talking about things to think through before you start having children. That'll be our topic. If she's still pretty weak, though, I'll either be back with another interview or else we'll take one of our favorite episodes from the past and we'll revisit that topic. We'll just uh, we're just kind of playing it week by week here to see how she recovers. I understand it does take a little while with that pneumonia thing, so... Please keep it in your mind and your thoughts and prayers. And that's all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oif.link slash 208. To find out how you can help us reach more marriages, go to oif.support. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. 